0: Are You Just Watching is supported by your dearly loved listeners. Special thanks to Tim Martin, Richard French, and Stephen Brown II for their monthly support. To help support Are You Just Watching, please go to patreon.com slash are you just watching. Show notes for this episode can be found at are slash 65. Since Rogue One is still in theaters, the first few minutes of this episode will be spoiler free. Are you just watching episode 65, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story? Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin.
1: I'm Tim Martin.
0: And we decided, I think probably last month sometime, that we were going to make the effort to do this movie because, I mean, hey, it's Star Wars.
1: Yeah, you can't exactly pass it up.
0: No. I I noticed a lot of people did not want to see spoilers about this movie, which it kind of weirded me out a little bit because it's not like we don't know how it ends. (laughs) I mean, anybody who's seen Star Wars and this is a prequel to Star Wars, we kind of know how this movie ends.
1: They they talk about it in other places.
0: Mm -hmm. So we will try and not spoil the movie for you. Um, for at least a minute or two, it's mm-hmm. going to be very difficult to discuss this movie without spoiling something. So we'll probably breeze through the non-spoiler section fairly quickly. Uh, the first thing I would want to mention uh, is that the score for this is pretty by Michael Jacano, Giacino or Gino, <laughs> however you pronounce Seems his name.
1: Seems to me we've heard his name somewhere <laughs> before.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's been doing a lot of the Disney movies and what was very interesting is when I went to research some the score a little bit last night. Uh I found out that uh he was actually switched in to do it when they got together to re-film some of the scenes. They had, I guess, some scenes that didn't work. And so they went back and refilmed them. And at that point, it caused a scheduling problem with the original composer they had, had uh, contracted with. And so they pulled him in at the last minute and he had four weeks to write the score.
1: <laughs> That's impressive work.
0: Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have been kind of saying, well, it's not up to Star Wars quality. And it's like, when you realize how little time he had to write it, I think he did it a marvelous job.
1: Yeah, it you know it speaks very well of him as a composer, but I still don't think it was up to Star Wars quality.
0: Well, it was which it is wasn't back John on the Williams. company. Well, yeah, it was it wasn't John Williams. I mean,
1: right? Exactly. Anytime
0: you pull something, someone new in, and I I appreciated the way he uh, used uh the John Williams score i mean mm-hmm. he pulled in some of the original John Williams score so that it felt like star wars but he
1: def- he definitely made an effort to uh, use John Williams as a foundation to build on
0: mhm yeah it there were parts of it that felt very star wars just and but then again there were parts of it that were definitely michael jackedo so if anybody knows how you actually say his name let us know. I mean, because <laughs> I stumble over it every single time we talk about him. And we I think he's done almost
1: all the movies we've talked about. Hey, definitely <laughs> all the Disney movies. Holy mackerel. This man gets around.
0: Yes, he's a he's, uh, uh, very, very prolific composer. Let's listen to a little bit of the score here. I, I just picked something, you know, a little bit upbeat for, you know, a little rousing. There were some soft spots in the movie, too. And uh, I think he did it. Uh, I think he did an OK job. In fact, when I went to see the movie, the girl I went to see with it. Said, well, the music's nice. It was one of the mm. comments she made. So <laughs> it stuck out to her as being good music.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely couldn't have done any better. I, I mean, I,
0: <laughs> and I would have just pounded composed- on a
1: piano and said, oh, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> it's he's he is still he's an excellent uh, composer and i think the bar that uh, that williams that everybody expects you know from the williams music of the star wars franchise um makes it difficult for him to step into those those shoes and mm-hmm. be universally liked
0: right right i mean I think he did what he could do and I, I think and considering the time crunch he was on it he didn't really have a lot of time to overthink anything so be funny uh, if he
1: got an Oscar nod for this
0: yeah it would be interesting now the other thing that I can say about this movie without spoiling it is that it does really wrap into it the feeling of the original Star Wars episode for a new hope. And I, I w- go ahead and add in the for a new hope because nobody nowadays knows what you mean when you say the
1: original story. <laughs> are you, are you talking Phantom Menace? Cause that's the first one chronologically. Uh, yeah. 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 It's sort of tough to know which way to go t- to take the conversation without getting into the spoilers. Right. Because, uh, so much I want to talk about is, you know, spoiler laden to a point. Right. Right. And it, the issue, like we were talking before, the issue with spoilers for Rogue One is so much of the story of Rogue One is alluded to or even outright referenced in the rest of Star Wars canon.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: So you you don't even know what you can say and what you can't say. <laughs> without, without ruin- giving something away. <laughs> right,
0: exactly. And and to be honest, I think that those people who don't like spoilers are probably not going to listen to this episode until they've seen the movie. Yet. That's what yeah. that would be my hope. We will obviously recommend that you go and check out the family-friendly review at pluggedin.com because we mm-hmm. will not be discussing um what, you know, the kinds of things, the level that they go to in addressing the various aspects of what makes a movie not family friendly (laughs) but i didn't to be honest see anything in this movie that i thought would be uh horrific for a pg-13 rating it's
1: i i would i would probably even go so far as to say it it deserves a uh well there's combat there's battle violence which is uh which is always difficult to gauge Mm -hmm. no blood and guts no gore uh, but there is there's battle violence of you know stuntmen getting thrown across the uh the sand and and there's people getting shot but the shot is just you know a, a brief burn on the torso and then they fall over yeah yeah so overall I, I think it was airing on the side of caution to give it a pg-13 well rating. they knew
0: a lot of people would be taking their kids to this movie so i think yeah. it, they kept it as clean as possible for its rating and i appreciate that it it was uh to me, it was a feel-good Star Wars movie. It was. It had all of the action, and sorry,
1: uh, uh, you know what? I can't even say that until we get to the spoiler-free okay, section. You know what?
0: Let's say let's call it into the spoiler-free. <laughs> We're gonna just okay. keep stumbling over everything.
1: <laughs> so. We are now in the spoiler. We are now in the spoiled section. So <laughs> yes. if you haven't seen the movie yet, you don't want do <laughs> wish to wish to hear what happens and somehow have missed the entire story of Rogue One as referenced through the rest of the canon, stop listening. <laughs> okay. So you just said it's a feel good movie. This meets the classic theater definition of a tragedy.
0: Yes. Yes. I know.
1: How can you have a feel-good tragedy?
0: <laughs> well, it, when I mean feel-good, I mean it's entertaining. <laughs> it's an entertaining movie.
1: Well, that's for sure. This this is definitely a, uh, you know, edge-of-your-seat popcorn-crunching movie, even though, I mean, it's, it's like watching, uh, what was it, uh, Oliver Stone did Lincoln. You know the guy dies in the end. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know... You still watch the story. (laughs) So everyone, everyone in on the Rogue One team dies.
0: Right. It's a tragedy. I get that. But you
1: still feel good about it. Yeah.
0: Well, they they accomplished their mission. So that was. That's true. I mean, they died for a cause. They had a reason they died for. They knew that it was most likely a suicide mission when they went. And at least I think some of them were cognizant of that. I'm not sure all of them Mm -hmm. were. Um it showed people doing valiant stuff and they got yeah. and they accomplished their mission and you know i think they they all finished their character arc i guess is what you could say
1: so exactly yeah. that's an excellent point they they all were fulfilled as characters and that's a sign of good writing mm-hmm. and they they really did do a good job with writing uh for uh rogue one but i want to i want to make a confession um just to lead us into the uh, what we did and didn't like section before we talk about the the two themes that, uh, that we that we had independently come come up with. I am not a Star Wars geek. Mm-hmm. I have seen all the Star Wars movies, some of them a couple times, but I don't think I've ever seen one in the theaters more than once. Um, and honestly. If it weren't for, are you just watching? I might not have seen Rogue One in theaters. Okay, so I am not as enamored with the uh, with the the story, I guess, as a lot of people uh, who are diehard die hard Star Wars fans out there. Um, and to that end, I had uh, some problems. So I want to jump right into one of the things I didn't like about the movie. Okay. Uh, Cassian Andor, okay, did not like him at all in <laughs> the slightest. From the very beginning, from the very opening scene with him to the very last scene, I thought he was a terrible person.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: So send your hate mail to uh,
2: uh, <laughs>
0: Ren
1: Chipley. Uh, just put it, yeah, just put it up <laughs> on the Facebook page. And, you know, I'll get it there. I I found, and this may just be me being. Um, imperialist or whatever you want to call it but i found his accent uh made it very hard for me to understand what he was saying Hmm. and the fact that he starts his character is introduced with a with not just a murder but a murder where he shoots a man in the back that at the same time he is offering uh escape to Mm -hmm. that just it it poisoned the well for me, for <laughs> the character of uh, Cassie and Andor.
0: That obviously didn't work for you. No. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to discuss a little bit more about the characters later, but let's go ahead and yep. and and um, plow through what was. Now, I don't want to be all downer because one of some of the things that I really appreciated about this movie from the get go was one of the first scenes we saw in the movie was the farm where. Ah yes. Yeah. Well, it's the farm where they go after the Ursos, where the Imperial forces are looking Mm -hmm. for this uh, scientist, I guess, who had gone missing. He had hid from the Empire. And they found him on this farm. And what was so cool about this farm was that it was just almost identical to the one that you see Luke at, at the beginning of A New Hope. And yeah. they and they Very showed feel. they showed you the inside and everything. It was perfect, and I was just like I was going all Star Wars geeky on that farm. It's <laughs> <laughs> like it looks just like it. It's so yeah, cool.
1: There was a good parallelism with that farm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I I really appreciated the physical beauty of the farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the way that they had um, you know the the green strip. Mm-hmm. across the black um, volcanic rock,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and I looked it up, and that's actually a real place mm-hmm. uh, on the southern southern edge of Iceland. I don't know if the Green Strip was right, but the black volcanic rock is, is all there. Mm-hmm and makes me want to visit Iceland. It was just it was gorgeous the landscape and mm-hmm. and the way they integrated the farm in there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I just I love that that whole aspect. I was just going a little geekish, you know, in my seat just going, oh,
2: "This is so cool."
0: Cuz they even showed the kitchen. <laughs> and one of the things that I'd always loved about Luke's kitchen in the farm and I guess it was his aunt and uncle's farm in in, in uh, New Hope was that uh, they had all of these cool, like, 70s, like, things, <laughs> you
2: know, in the <laughs> kitchen.
0: Because the movie was made in 77, and that just seemed so high-tech and cool to people back then. But it was just yeah. like, you look at it now, and it was... But they kind of kept that feel just a little bit so that it would feel like it was the same time period, roughly. Because it... You know, it,
1: I, they did that throughout the entire movie, too, mm-hmm. though. I, yeah. I mean, uh, it's... My, I saw it with my uh, with my seventeen year old son, and we're both computer geeks, and we were making fun of the fact that the uh, the plans for the Death Star were on tape. <laughs> tape. Yeah, it, it, you couldn't just walk up, stick a USB key in, and you know copy it copied it into your one hundred and twenty eight gigabytes of space.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Well, they probably and, uh, were pretty massive plans, but at the same time, and they were hard storage. So, I mean, we still have yeah. high storage, hard storage for stuff too. But
1: yeah. I like that they kept it that way, yeah. since you know it, that was the uh, the epitome of of storage in 1977 when they filmed the original when they filmed the New Hope.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and yeah. they,
1: you know it was they they were huge plans and they couldn't just broadcast them out over the same signal that they were getting the communications out stuff like that
0: yeah it was it was ma- it was massive data so they had to mm-hmm. they had had to have that that kind of hard storage for it the other thing that i really appreciated was the space battle that was at the end above the gate there and mm-hmm. they uh there were aspects of it that felt just like what uh we'd seen at the end of A New Hope, where they're fighting over the Death Star, and the um, in fact, some of the communication between the the X-wing fighters uh, felt like it was actual footage from <laughs> A New Hope. In fact, the yeah. the girl I saw was she's like that's actual footage, and I'm like I'm thinking I don't know that it is, but I guess it possibly could be. But
1: you know the you know the place where they they're doing the blue leader check in, red yeah, leader check in. Yeah, exactly. Check-in. That
0: was the part. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um- was it Wedge Antilles in Red Leader? It sure looked like it to me. It looked like they, they used the uh, a CGI of the guy who played Wedge.
0: I don't know. She, my The girl I was with was convinced that it was actual footage from, from <laughs> A New Hope. So I don't know. Um, I don't think it was because they didn't film A New Hope in, in the same way they would have filmed this. So it would have looked very different. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, it, it it wouldn't be anywhere near the same format. I don't know how that format would uh would, you know, would translate.
0: Would translate. And yeah. at the end of that fight, they had an awesome imperial ship crash, which I, I-
1: Oh, yes. <laughs> that
2: was
0: cool. <laughs> i loved it i just like because i had to push one into the other and it like sliced off the top of it it was so cool i just like all that is i was just like oh, i love it i love it when they do good things like that that was what worked for me the uh yeah. the big question i had at the end which well you know i won't dwell on but it puzzled me because we, we knew, obviously, from the beginning of New Hope that the only the only way that the Rebel Alliance could get the plans was from this little thing that got stuck in R2-D2 and Princess Leia sent him off in an escape pod to keep the Imperial Army from intercepting it and sends him to Obi-Wan Kenobi. So that was that whole setup there. But when the Rebels that were on, you know, in this data facility beamed the, the information up to the ships... Why didn't some of the ships left? So why didn't they just take it with them?
1: I think that ties back into the... uh,
0: The massiveness of the the data? The
1: limitations of the technology at the time of the original filming Mm -hmm. and the massiveness of the data. I mean, uh, they seem to make it a point that the data had to be stored on a card because that final scene where they're... Mm -hmm. Uh, trying you know, to get it out the... of the ship
0: when darth exactly. vader is
1: boarding yeah and i here i was sinking the entire time just hand
0: it through the crack hand it through the crack <laughs> yeah it's like you could have done that like minutes ago why did you yeah. wait until the <laughs> darth vader was practically at your back
1: i gotta say though i do like the that scene with darth vader coming down the hallway and just picking the guys off one by one and he he seemed to He had a sense of flair and style to it It, one guy he would force crush to the ceiling one guy he actually caught the the uh the blaster bolt and threw it back and shot another guy with the other guy's blaster Mm -hmm. he really they really did a good job showing him as the uh the incredible threat that Darth vader
0: uh, is in canon yeah i think a lot of the commentary i saw about that i've seen about the movie um, was that they really felt like this was Darth Vader the way they wanted to see him, and that the way that they that they didn't see him mm-hmm. in the three prequels that were done <laughs> before and uh, that come before this movie? So, yeah, I saw somebody post a meme on I can't remember now where it was, but it was some trying to explain what this movie was. That it was a prequel to the original series that were the sequels to the prequels that were made like, yeah <laughs> it's confusing when you try to explain it but technically this is 3.5 or 3.9 something like that it's like right before yeah
1: 3.9 makes sense because it literally i mean it, it the ship flying off in the final scene cut scene right is the ship as it is Being. the opening scene of episode four right so, yeah, I could, I, I could see giving it a 3.9 designation.
0: Yeah. It was seamless. Um, I loved it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, do, I really do like the way they, they tied that in. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it felt very Which uh, organic. Which leads us
0: to one of the things you said you didn't think worked was the, one of the last scenes we see in, in the movie is a CGI uh, character. Uh, mm-hmm. uh portrayal of princess leia because we had to well, show her at the end
1: yeah carrie fisher was in there and uh uh
0: but that actually Moff, wasn't carrie moth tarkin that wasn't carrie fisher
1: uh right it was uh that's <laughs> that's part of the issue it was carrie fisher but it wasn't carrie fisher <laughs> um so uh, at, as if you haven't seen the movie or if you have seen it, there are c- CGI – there are several characters that are re- – that are
0: They had to. They simply had yeah, to do it.
1: One of which was Peter Cushing. Right. Who played Moff Tarkin in A New Hope. Uh, Moff Tarkin was in Rogue One. His face was computer generated based off of uh, – clearly based off of the work in A New Hope. Mm-hmm but it didn't make it. And it, it uh, pulls, and I think we've talked about it before, but it pulls out that, uh, that uncanny valley theory that, that we've discussed, where human beings, when it comes to facial recognition in particular, uh, notice so much more than we actually register consciously. Mm-hmm. And CGI characters just can't match the the micro expressions and the uh, facial twitches and uh, micro eye movements and stuff like that they look very very creepy now on <laughs> Tarkin that works well yeah he needs to look creepy because that man is creepy right but on Carrie Fisher uh, or, or Princess Leia rather she looked wrong yeah to me well and uh, it, it, those two in particular it I, sort of broke the, uh, the fourth wall,
0: right. well, in my opinion. Unfortunately, that was the only way they could do it. And
2: yeah.
1: I, I think yeah, yeah.
0: that they kept the, those scenes uh, decidedly brief, and thankfully. And I, I didn't bug me. I think being in the, the theater with somebody who was actually excited by the seeing a character in there that was not expected – Because, Mm. you know, obviously the actor is no longer around to play it. I I think that for the vast majority of the fans, it worked. Um, Yeah. And and because it was necessary, because we were doing a prequel that had characters in it that would appear uh, in a a movie that was filmed. I mean, almost 50 years ago. uh, Yeah. I mean, that they had to do what they had to do. So, And I think it was I think it worked for me. It didn't bug me, but I could see why uh, as not being a Star Wars geek, it would be something that would throw you out.
1: So. Interesting. I, looking on IMDb, I just noticed that uh, there is an actor credited with Moff Tarkin, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not Peter Cushing. It's Guy Henry. Well, they had to to have uh, some... Facial expressions, maybe?
0: Well, the thing is, is they had somebody play those parts, and then they CGI'd the faces onto them, you know, to just... In fact, Mm. the girl that played Princess Leia looks a lot like Carrie Fisher did. So uh, they they kept it to a minimum what they had to change. So they they cast people that looked similar, so they didn't have to change a lot. They weren't, like, completely CGI characters.
1: Wow, her name is Englid... D'Elia. <laughs> and you're right. She does look a lot like Carrie Fisher did when she was, uh, what was she? She was 18 or 19 in that, wasn't she?
0: I don't remember. Yeah. She was pretty young.
1: Yeah. So, huh. so the CGI cut and paste of the of the faces did throw me off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was one other thing that I both loved and I hated, and that was the, uh, the scene about getting the transmission out. Mm-hmm. And the re- the only reason that I disliked it was because I felt they were stealing from Serenity.
0: <laughs> well, everything's been done
1: at yeah, some point.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I
0: mean, you could get really nitpicky. I bet you could probably find three or four other science fiction oh. movies that had something similar. I mean, it,
1: yeah, it's, it's all just been Serenity done. is so close to my heart. And yeah. plus, you know, um, who is it uh, from Serenity that was in this? Oh, Alan, Alan Tudyk played uh k2so (laughs) and he was washing in serenity um and he died in sir oh sorry that was a spoiler for serenity um
0: we did serenity a long time ago (laughs) 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 before you joined Um, the podcast
1: (laughs) and i could watch serenity you know three or four more times each day anyway um, I both loved and, and didn't like that scene for those reasons.
0: Well, you can always consider it as a tip of the hat to Serenity yeah. if you wanted to put yeah. it that
1: way. Yeah, an homage. Yeah. An homage, yes. Yeah. Um, it's, out of curiosity, what did you think of the the death scene of uh, Jin's father?
0: Uh, I, I mean, it was okay. I know, I know that you probably thought, based on your notes, which I read— <laughs> You thought it was tropish I don't get <laughs> into
2: I don't get into the whole
0: tropish things because uh like I said, everything's been done once at least yeah. and the the whole point about things uh fil- f- you know falling into overuse is the fact that they work you know they they right. become tropes because they work and and you people use them because they work, and so in this situation, I thought it worked. I thought her ability to climb all the way up to that platform was a little weird. Uh, mm. It was a, quite a long climb, and then and you know being able to be there when he died uh, seemed a, a little bit of a stretch. But I understood that she was what she was fighting for was her father, and yeah. and the fact that she loses him kind of changes who she is as a character. And so it's a very important part of the movie.
1: No, I, I, as far as Jin's character in general, I, I thought that the, and this is where my Star Wars geekiness, and my lack of geekiness for Star Wars is coming out. But I thought that, um, Jin's transition from uh, rebellious outsider to, uh, to rebel leader was was pretty forced.
0: Well, let's talk about that because one of the main things that i saw in this movie i think it was probably the main theme of this movie is why do we rebel um that mm-hmm. i i i felt like every every character that was a that was on the side of the rebellion had a testimony to why they were rebelling in this movie and it started with gallon Galen urso her father at the very beginning because he went and hid from the Empire, knowing that they wanted to use his genius to build weapons. And he didn't want to build weapons for the Empire. And so he had hid from them. And they wanted his family in order to hold his hostages to force his cooperation. So his – his uh, what he was in the – for the – as a rebel was he had to pick his battles very carefully. And so yep. he wa- he was a – uh, a rebel from the very beginning, because he hid from them to begin with, and then, when they did conscript his service, um he built weaknesses into the weapons that he manufactured them for them, and they had to be very carefully hidden weaknesses because he worked with other scientists who might see the weaknesses mm-hmm. so uh he was he was a rebel in his own way, he just had to be very careful about it and then
1: and he he even paid a higher price than many rebels. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, he not lost just his that wife. He, yeah, not just that he lost his wife and lost his freedom, but he his reputation would be forever tainted mm-hmm. uh, as being a imperial um, scientist. Uh, yeah, not, yeah, not not even sympathizer, but dedicated imperial loyalist. Right, uh, despite the fact that he was working under. extreme duress right yeah
0: and and the rebellion didn't even see that i mean when when they when they sent cassian after him it was with the under the table understanding that he would kill him because they didn't want to have it there was no cat there was no capture there was no rescue it was kill him and that Mm -hmm. was that was the orders and and so nobody except possibly jen really understood what was going on with her father and uh, I think the fact that he did so much as a rebel hidden in the middle—I mean, the whole point of *A New Hope* was what he did as a rebel. The fact yeah. that they could take down the Death Star—that um, there—that there was a weakness built into it—was because he rebelled in a very subtle now, way.
1: I got the impression that even Jen didn't fully grasp the the links to which he had uh, that the that he was actually a rebel. Uh, insider until she saw the hologram message.
0: Mm-hmm. And and see that's where I I want to go to her next because that's where she okay. changes. Um, you you commented that you thought that her change was very forced, and mm-hmm. I felt like um, I felt like it worked because what she was, what she had been raised to be, she'd been raised by an extremist. We have to remember that that Saul, the man who raised her, was what the rebellion couldn't even handle because he was like all the way on the extreme. And yeah. the rebellion said they couldn't work with him because he was so extreme. He was the man that raised her, and she she was raised by a man who was an extremist. But she never caught the vision for the rebellion, even being raised by an extremist. And all she wanted to do was to be left alone. And she knew that she was a target. She grew up knowing she was a target. If the re, re, if, if the empire ever found her, they would capture her and use her against her father. And she grew up knowing that. And mm-hmm. So one of the quotes that I had pulled from the movie that really stuck out to me was a conversation. I, I believe it was when she was first uh, rescued by the rebellion. She told somebody at one point that she didn't have the luxury of having political opinions.
1: Oh, yeah. 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 And
0: and to me, that really popped out. She was a criminal She under another name. Uh, she had actually been in prison with, for, with the Empire under another name. They didn't know they had. Her Jen Urso, but they had her. she was a prisoner, and she 'd just been like a, a petty criminal, just trying to get by and she she didn 't feel like she had uh, the luxury of have having political opinions because of who her father was um, she, she yep. I think that she felt like the alliance would see her as a traitor because they felt her father was a traitor, and they would and everybody would just want to use her she 'd be a pawn no matter who she went to. And so I think that really built her character, um, and and you see that change because when she goes back to Saul, the first thing she says is, "The rebellion wanted an introduction. I'm introducing you now. Let me out of this. I don't want to be a part of it anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm done. I'm done. I'm out of here. Yeah, I'm
0: Peace. done. The, that's all I did. They they conscripted me into this. That's what I've done. And here I've I've done the introduction. And his response was. You know, don't you want to do something about the empire? You just okay with seeing the imperial flag, you know, flying all over everywhere. And she's like, it's not a problem if you don't look up. And so her character is just very apathetic about who's in power because she doesn't care. Everybody wants to use her. Everybody's treating her as a pawn and she has no personal cause. And that's yeah, the... She's di- not invested. She's not invested. And I think I wrote down in the notes, she's literally a rebel without a cause. She is a rebel. She's a criminal. But she doesn't have a cause. She's not invested in a cause. And so I... her transformation is when she finds common cause with the rebellion. And that and she's willing to rebel. She's been rebelling her whole life. She just didn't have a cause. And when you plug her into a cause, then suddenly... She, you know, she's useful.
1: I feel like there's, uh, I feel like there are stories that are taking place leading up to Rogue One, mm-hmm. like graphic novels or, uh, you know, short stories or something.
0: Well, there was a, that, somebody mentioned there was a, I guess, a TV series or something. Um, well, the Star
1: Wars Rebels, does that, does that play, does that link into, uh...
0: They said that the characters would not overlap, but I, I think there may have been some stories or something. I don't know. I haven't ever seen the series. I'm not enough mm. of a Star Wars geek, I guess.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Half of why I felt it was forced and everything was the change of the opinion towards her by everyone gathered. Well, they didn't. Uh, but that they... It, that is partially explained by the fact that the rebellion was falling apart.
0: Right well there were people who weren't willing to give up the cause and there were people who wanted to surrender and she didn't want her what her father had died for to be in vain and and that was where she found her cause was was that he he told her that he didn't want the dream of the rebellion to be stifled and so she picked up his cause and and that is something that um you know makes what she does make sense because Mm -hmm. her father died for it now she can now she has a personal investment she wants to see what her father died for used for why i mean otherwise he died in vain and and so that that makes sense of her transformation she's going to stand her ground and do something plus the you know you didn't like cassian but one one thing that is interesting about cassian is, is that he went through trauma too and in, in his he even told jenny what do you mean well he told jen at one point he's like um you're not the only one who lost everything i lost my parents too so he had the same kind of trauma in his background that she had he just made the decision to do something about it instead of yeah. instead of being apathetic and letting uh things go on the way they were he had made the the choice to do something about it and and he became i think in a way her uh mentor in how you deal with causes. <laughs> now, I and
1: boy, that's not a mentor I would want. I
0: know, and you don't. I understand why you don't like Cassian. I think he he definitely uh, had some. He was a real character. Let's put it that way. He was not. <laughs> he was not an altruistic good man. He was a a man who did what it took to do what he felt like was his mission. And and Jen called him on it once because one of her comments to him was. Uh, I think, yeah, if you follow orders that you know are wrong, you might as well be a stormtrooper. I mean, that's a low Mm -hmm. dig at a rebel. You know, the stormtroopers just follow orders and they're, you know, they just, you know, you you never really think about them as people. And she dug at him about that. It's like, listen, you need to start thinking about what you're doing um, or you might as well just join the other side. And so I think they influenced each other equally and he did he changed because he he was sent to kill Gallon and he couldn't do it
1: yeah yeah i i wonder if part of it might be um you know the uniform code of military justice uh gives uh soldiers sailors uh, soldiers as a general term for all mm-hmm. military service people it gives them an out um it
0: for following orders
1: right you are you are not required to follow an unlawful order mhm uh, now, that that leaves a huge, uh, gargantuan gray area. Right, you know, is order lawful or is order not? But when you are a rebel, what is the law? Mm-hmm. You know, for for the the men and women of this rebellion, what would what would an unlawful order be? They're already rebelling against the established order. Right which, you know, we know is evil. I mean, they're going around destroying cities. Uh, In the next movie, they blow up an entire planet. Mm -hmm. Peaceful Um, planet. Yeah, a a planet (laughs) with no military significance, nothing at all. Um, So there's no question that they're evil. But uh, it makes it very difficult to know, you know, what, is and is not a lawful order when the law that they're following is the morality of the individuals themselves. Mm-hmm. So when Cassian shoots this guy, was, was he obeying, uh, uh, was he abiding by his own morality? Uh, I'm referring back to the guy at the very beginning. Right. Um, or was he just looking out for his own self-interest because uh, disposing of that guy, killing that guy would have been – was the only way he had to get away from the stormtroopers that uh, He would that have left had, a witness
0: behind. If if he hadn't yeah. killed him, he would have left a witness behind. Yeah.
1: So how did that serve the the overall cause rather than his own personal interest? And that's, I think, where it gets under under my skin is – um human beings uh from from a faith centered point of view specifically human beings are a terrible judge of moral circumstance <laughs> we are we are fallen creatures and we will always uh lacking direct intervention of god we will always do the wrong thing mm-hmm. even when we do what turns out good it's still for the wrong reasons i mean you can have uh you can have evil people give to charity that's a good thing right mm-hmm. but are they giving why are they giving to charity probably. that's where the balance for
0: the tax break probably yeah
1: yeah <laughs> for their for their own benefit right. somehow right either you know uh, tax money or public recognition like there are there are bad people who have their names on buildings at universities yeah Univers- it's univers- like, universities,
0: it's like a, universities. It's like Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount. It's like they have their own reward. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. you, whatever for whatever reason you did it for, that was the reward you get from it. And there, that doesn't necessarily mean you'll have rewards in heaven for it. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Cassian is not the greatest character, but I think that he was a real character. He felt yes, he felt very real in the circumstances that he was in. He made bad decisions. In fact, the group of men that they pulled together to take on this final suicidal mission, he, he said they were all, they had all done bad things for the rebellion and that they couldn't live with themselves if they give up now. If they surrender without seeing the objective finished, they felt like that that would make them then responsible that those bad things were, were done for not good reasons.
1: Yeah. And yeah, and that was actually uh, I think that was a well-written point mm-hmm. into the movie was that without the rebellion, uh, these guys became common criminals. Right.
0: Right. They were they had a cause. But if you abandon the cause, then they're just really bad people. And and I'm not I'm not in any way saying that this is this it, in bringing up these testimonies of re- rebellion. I, I wanted to portray what the movie was showing. But I really want to delve into what that means from a Christian perspective, because um, there's a very famous quote that gets thrown about, and it says, The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. That was Edmund Burke, who's considered it by some to be the father of conservatism, which you and I are both, for the most part, conservatives politically.
2: <laughs> um,
0: but the, the interesting thing about that is a lot of people might take that to mean that we are that it's a righteous thing to rebel that that's the only proper thing to do. But from a biblical standpoint, I don't think that holds water. And uh, I I just want to read this. This comes from Romans 13, one through seven. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists into context this was written by paul to the christians who lived in rome and what do we know about rome and christians during the time of paul
1: no they were being very badly persecuted right I almost said prosecuted, which is sort of right, too, <laughs> right, yeah. but persecuted right. is definitely right.
0: Right. So this is this is a situation where this he wasn't talking to people who were living in a kind government. Let's put it that way. He, <laughs> he was talking to people who were literally fearing for their lives because they chose Christ. Mm-hmm. And he still told them to be subject to their governing authorities, that this was the will of God. And... I know that Christians struggle with the concept of how rebellion fits into, uh, into that command. I actually have a friend of mine at work who who believes that the rebellion that created the United States of America was unlawful, but from Christian standpoint,
1: that yep, I've I've heard that argument,
0: and and I understand, I can see that perspective. Uh, we we like to think of building the United States as being a Christian country. But at the same time, we built it by rebelling against lawful authority, mm-hmm. and that would have been against God's commands. And so it's, it, it's interesting that at the same time we look at that, we look at we how real historical models of how Christians have, I guess you might say, passively resisted oppressive governments because it has happened before. Um, we have... Uh, The Christians who founded and ran the Underground Railroad when this country was steeped in slavery and they passively resisted the laws that said that if you found a slave, you had to return him to his master. Mm -hmm. Um, They disobeyed that law and they helped these slaves uh, escape all the way to Canada and then also in, uh, during the Holocaust, during World War II, uh, there were Christians in many of these oppressed countries that the Nazis moved into who put their lives at risk to hide Jews um, yep. Yep. and to help the Jews escape. So, so we have examples of how we can passively resist the authorities that are unrighteous, unrighteous authorities who are doing horrible things without standing up and rebelling, if that makes any
1: sense. Yeah, it does. Um, back in September, uh, our pastor at uh, at the church that I'm a member of, New mm-hmm. Covenant Presbyterian in Virginia Beach, uh, Pastor Jeff Elliott did a sermon on Psalm 34. And in Psalm 34, David gives praise to God for answering his fear, uh, excuse me, answering his prayer. And the answer to his prayer uh, actually ties back to Uh, First Samuel 21, where David actually um, acts like a madman um, in order to deceive King uh, Aklish of Gath and uh, basically escape capture. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started a a lengthy email exchange with uh, Pastor Jeff about it because it sounded as if the Bible was condoning lying. Mm -hmm and uh we got into we got into a, a discussion on moral re- moral relativism whether or not uh the ends justified the means and uh one of the things that uh, jeff said was that the fallacy of moral relativism is that it says there is no truth with which we obviously disagree but at times we are torn between obeying god in at least seeming Quagmires, mm-hmm. quagmires to us, uh, obviously, but not to God, because everything is clear to Him. Um, back to his response: uh, Were the people who hid Jews from the Nazis in sin, or hid runaway slaves from their masters? Was that sin? I think that the Bible says that those scenarios exhibit godly deceit. In that the battle against evil, that is the enemies of God, deceit is part of warfare. There is a command. Uh, to preserve life it 's the flip side of the the commandment, uh, Thou shalt not kill. Uh, it is strategy, but it must not be self serving or capricious. We must earnestly seek the Lord in those cases and do it humble with humility and trembling. And he says, if I had a woman uh, with her children in my office hiding from a drunk or highly abusive husband, I would have a clear conscience before God to lie to the man about his family's whereabouts. And, and that really drove the point home for me mm-hmm. in, in tying it back to uh, the question of rebellion, uh, in both that of America's founding fathers mm-hmm. and the fictitious rebellion in Rogue One. Were they rebelling for the right reasons? Were they being self-serving mm-hmm. or were they doing it with humility and trembling?
0: Well, and and there's the thing, though, is, is that is it right to take arms? Because hiding somebody uh, and lying about their whereabouts or and helping somebody evade the law um, when they have a right reason to do so is completely different than taking arms and fighting back. And
1: I, I would disagree with that. Well,
0: but – and here's the interesting thing. A movie that we did not review um, because it was rated R and we don't do rated R movies was Hacksaw Ridge came out in November. And that is a true story about a conscientious objector who never handled a gun and saved multiple lives in World War II. He was a, he was a soldier. Mm-hmm. He went in there and he carried people out literally on his back to save their lives. Never carried a gun. and And he – he showed the will of Christ and that he refused to take arms against even a right. He would have been, I think most people consider it righteous to take arms against the Nazis because they were so horrible that he refused to do it. And, and here's another thing. And this is something that I kind of, I, I, a conclusion I kind of looked back on. What is our example? Our example is Christ as Christians were supposed to be Christ like, and what did Christ do when he came to earth? His objective was not to, When the Jews free of Rome, which is what a lot of his disciples thought he was going to do, they thought he was going to be a political leader who would who would free them from Rome. Instead, he gave them a totally different kind of freedom. And he freed them from sin. That was the bondage he was concerned about. And I think that when we're talking about the Christian responsibility, not we're talking about our responsibility as Americans or our responsibility as uh, adults with children to look to us for, for help. I'm just talking about purely about our responsibility as Christians. That is not to take up arms. It is to, mm. it is to be an example of Christ, and Christ would, was not a rebel. By any means, he went to the he went to the cross because he was branded as a rebel. But he wasn't and he never led his disciples in rebellion.
1: And it's I I see where I see what you're saying with this, but I I think you're wrong. Um, Our calling is to be like Christ. But we have to remember that Christ's example is not. Matthew 5.17 says, don't assume that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. Mm -hmm. So we have to, when we consider the example of Christ, we have to consider the entirety of scripture. And in considering that entirety of scripture, we have to examine stuff like uh, Psalm 34 and, and 1 Samuel 21, where a situation didn't apply to Christ. Would Christ have taken up arms and fought the Nazis? You know, honestly, I don't know. But I think the people who did so, I think they were if they did so in humility and with a focus on the glory of God, then they did the right thing.
0: Well, I think you're misunderstanding the point that I'm making, because my point is not that it's it that it's wrong in the eyes of God to rebel. Um, I'm just saying that it is not the Christians calling to rebel. And I don't I don't think that that, you know, we're going to stand in judgment before God if we make righteous de- think decisions that we think are righteous. But one of the points you yourself made earlier is that even Christians, people, humanity will make the wrong choices if we make them without God and our inclination is to try and reason it out and justify things make them righteous decisions based on our own understanding of the situation we don't have god's perspective and without god's perspective we can't un- we can't place that into saying that god i mean it's like when when the rebels rebelled to make the united states when we rebelled against britain they thought that they were on god's side and when Britain was trying to fight to maintain its hold on the colonies. They thought they were on God's side. It's like whose mm-hmm. side is God's side? God wasn't in either of those. It was something that, that that humanity was doing, and they were trying to justify using God. But that doesn't mean that God was on either side. And so we have to be very careful when when we're trying to make this into God's fight. When God's command to us as Christians was to love our enemies. Do good to those who spitefully use us. These were the commands that we were given. And does that mean that we can't take up arms and rebel? That's between each individual and God and what we feel like we can justify before God. (laughs) This is interesting because this is something that's really been on my heart with uh, the election here in the United States and how uh, there have been people that have been unsettled by the outcome. Regardless of which side you're on, conservative or liberal or progressive or or moderate or it doesn't matter, people are unsettled over this election because it, was, it didn't go the way I think any of us really wanted it to go. Uh, we didn't have the candidates we wanted to vote between, and there's a lot of us that are simply not happy either way, would not have been <laughs> happy either way. And this is something that I keep coming back to, and this is something that gave me hope eight years ago um, when the candidate I didn't want to have elected was elected twice, that as Christians, we're not supposed to put our hope in government. And we keep thinking that government's going to fix our problems. Government can't fix our problems. And when we get upset over things that happen in our government— I think it's a little bit of a sign of a small heart problem in that we're, we've got our hope invested in our government, in our country, and in people when our hope really should be invested in God and right. and our hope of salvation and, and our eternal citizenship. And if we lose sight of, of that hope and, try, and start trying to put government in the place of God, which I have to say— a lot of people do, especially here mm-hmm. in the United States. They put government up there on that level of government can take care of us. Government can fix all these wrongs. Government can create social justice. Government can equal the odds between people who um, don't have what other people have uh, or, who, or who are uh, discriminated against or all of these things. They put their hope in government when their hope really should be in God. And
1: Yeah, for the- what I kept hearing was it's all about the Supreme Court pick. It's all mm-hmm. about the Supreme Court.
0: Right. And we need to remember as Christians, and, and that's what this movie is about, because this movie leads into a new hope. That's that's what they are are aiming towards with this movie was a hope, something to keep the rebellion propped up and going. They were they were willing to give up. And the whole the suicide mission, the whole point of the suicide mission was to give them hope. And to me, that just wraps back into what are you really putting your hope in? Where are you finding mm-hmm. your hope? What are you, What is the foundation upon which you stand? As I wrote here in my notes, I really think that Christians should be in times of upheaval, like you see in this movie or like you see right now in our country, we should be the pillars of peace and stability because we know we are grounded in a hope that cannot be shaken no matter what goes on in our government.
1: Mm-hmm. Um let me let me jump into uh your your question earlier about uh whose side was God on, because in Rogue One mm-hmm. <laughs> there is a very uh there's a very clear way to see whose side God, and I'm using air quotes for everybody because nobody can see me <laughs> is on. And uh that is because in this fictional world the force is a religion and uh, i think uh, and i know we talked about it in a force awakens mm-hmm. in the force awakens um but it's made very clear in rogue one by the presence of one specific character uh played by Donnie Yen mhm and i'm going to i'm going to slaughter his character's name Chirrut Imwe, i think so, uh, Chira is a um, for ba- for lack of a better way to describe it, a Buddhist monk of the force. Yes, well, he's he, not a Jedi.
0: <laughs> well, he's he was a protector of a temple, and right. the temple was was ramsacked, so he had nothing to protect anymore.
1: Yeah, it, the temple uh, was built around. Uh, I got the impression that it was built around. Not just a stockpile of kyber crystals and kyber crystals are the crystals used uh, um, not only in lightsabers, but also in uh, the super weapons of the Sith. But I I sort of got the impression that there was a kyber crystal mine there.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't that that would make sense because the way it was sitting up on top of that massive outcropping. I don't know. Yeah but
1: the those who are much uh, much more in tune with the the Star Wars canon can correct us and feedback
0: not entirely sure it's uh, really relevant to the discussion anyway <laughs> but
1: anyway uh so cheura is uh very much uh, he has a prayer a mantra that he keeps saying and uh he says it multiple times throughout the film i am with the force and the force is with me mm-hmm. and the uh they really are setting up the Force as...
0: It's like mythical mum, mumbo-jumbo because that was uh, actually the way Han Solo thought, felt like it was in in A New Hope. It's like there were just these yeah. few really crazy people who held out this strange myth about the Force and the, the power of the Force and that the Force was in you and all this but
1: stuff. But it was no substitute for a good blaster at your side.
0: Right, right.
1: It's I, I really... I like how they're developing the Force, um, you know, in... Uh, episodes four, five, and six, the Force is just uh, a mythical Force. Uh, uh, not even mythical. It is a um,
0: something you can a access science fiction magic yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, of types. But there's always a good and there's a, a light side of the Force and a dark side of the Force. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to whose side is God on, when it comes to Rogue One, you have the Sith... On the side of the Empire, and you have the deceased Jedi on the side of the Rebellion. Right. Because uh, as far as anybody knows in Rogue, anybody but a very few select ones knows in Rogue One, the Jedi are all dead. Right. So— There's
0: only one reference made to a single living Jedi, and that's, uh, I'm assuming, Obi-Wan that they're referring to. Right. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, uh, there was a problem with the, the way that line was delivered. Uh, I actually ended up having to go back and look it up. It sounded like they were talking about a female Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, But when I went back and, and looked up some discussion about it, it appears that they were talking. There was a part that somehow uh, my son and I had both missed where they changed the subject of the discussion of, from the Jedi to a messenger. The messenger Who taking like the message that. to the Jedi. Yeah. yeah. And that's who he would trust with his life. Right. The her that he referred to. Anyway, so is the god of Rogue One, the Force, is the Force on their side?
0: Well, the Force doesn't take sides because obviously the Sith use it too. So it's mm-hmm. it's something that doesn't take sides. It's something that you channel and use, obviously. Uh, they're treating it as a religion, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it is a religion. Just that it's a treat, treated as one. Um, I don't know. I, I think the it's it's really hard for Christians to use the the mythology of the force as something that we can spring any Christian philosophy off of because it is oh. not Christian. <laughs> so,
1: but from the, this is from a uh, a purely. Mm-hmm. Uh, eva- evaluating the fiction, you know, it, right. the world, the fictional world is not complete without cultural references like religion in there. Right. Uh, because you can't have, uh, I don't know if this is true, but I feel like it is. Uh, I don't think you can have a complete culture in fiction without some something kind of to fill the f- spiritual aspect yeah, a of, belief system of consciousness. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well,
0: it's interesting that that the Force as a religion was woven so strongly through this movie. I don't know that... I mean, I think it embodied some of the characters, but the main characters were not using the Force. I I don't know. There was some speculation, I think, even to whether Chirrut was using the Force or whether he was really just extremely lucky and a very good fighter.
1: Um, I think he was lucky.
0: Yeah. (laughs) There was was a scene in there where where he... He's talking to his his uh friend that hangs out with him who is uh the the character was Bays malbus, and he says i "I'm not lucky I have you
1: because <laughs> <I like>, yeah.
0: <laughs> Bays always would come in and shoot out the bad guys when he got overwhelmed he so. was
1: a really good shot apparently
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> I liked that character he was he was fun in fact uh just to kind of jump off of our last movie we discussed when he came on scene and started fighting and you realized he was blind i nudged my my seatmate and said uh another daredevil in star
2: wars <laughs>
0: <laughs> a blind warrior i know it's not completely unheard of but it was
1: it was kind of fun not quite to the level of trope <laughs> that's i i uh, i really did like his fighting scenes uh, particularly you know, the opening, the one where you really see his ability to fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's capable it, it of— It walk- really felt very Star Wars-ish. Yeah.
0: Well, and the really interesting thing is just like in, in Daredevil, he's, he, because his sense of hearing is so acute, he can warn people about things they don't even know are coming. Because there's a scene where he warns <laughs> them all to run because there's a walker coming.
1: Okay. Okay. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> that was an, an AT-AT, right? Uh, yeah. It's- so how do you not hear an ATAT coming?
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, it just appeared out of the mist. Maybe it was because he was coming in through the water because they were on the beach. I don't know.
1: Yeah, uh, you do wonder why it's a blind guy that picked it up. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, we should be running.
1: I did like uh, there was that one scene where Baze, you know, had the shoulder-launched uh, rocket, and he he hit the.
0: The side of its the head.
1: The at right in the head, and you're thinking, yeah, and then it, it shrugs it off.
0: Yeah, it just kind of like shakes its head. And you're like, oh, Uh-oh. boy.
1: <laughs> and that's when, of course, the uh, the rebel fleet comes in and saves the day, mm-hmm. for a little while, at least for but, them.
0: Yeah, that whole fight was so fun, but it pulled in things that we hadn't seen and t- since they had you know last filmed what was it uh, return of the jedi was the last time we saw some of those those things and so it yeah it was nice to fall back and see all of that stuff again and overall i really like the movie uh i actually mm-hmm. think i liked it more than a force awakens to be honest and hmm. and i've heard a lot of people saying that that this was the star wars movie they were waiting for
1: i think this i think rogue one and force awakens are actually different enough stories in my mind that i don't even consider them in the same you know the same thought because it for me the force awakens really was a dynasty story Mm -hmm. just as all uh all the all of the movies have been since chronologically in the fiction from phantom menace all the way up through uh it's all part of the dynasty story of the of the skywalkers uh as a whole and the jedi as a um an undercurrent but uh rogue one really it was set in the same universe it uh clearly played to the same key events in that universe mm-hmm. but i really felt it had a uh a very different and very complementing uh flavor to it, it sort of like the the ebony keys on a piano to the ivory <laughs> uh keys yeah it complimented
0: uh, yeah i get yeah. what you're pointing.
1: Yeah, I don't even think I don't think of them in the same vein of like uh, Rogue One was a Star Wars story I wanted. I think they're equally uh, enjoyable. Mm -hmm. And let me uh, since we're well, well past the spoiler section here. I just want to ask one last thing going in. Were you aware that the entire Rogue One team dies in the end of the movie? I mean, was was it established in canon? I I get the feeling that it was because I sort of went in knowing that they were all going to die, but it, it didn't occur to me that I should have known that until like the, the near, near the end of the movie. Was it a sure thing that they were all going to die?
0: I have no clue. I don't think so.
1: Okay.
2: But
0: at the same time, it makes perfect sense. I mean... Yeah. If they had been able yeah, to it- escape, they would have brought the plans with them,
1: so yeah exactly well, it's you had mentioned earlier the whole suicide mission th- that they all knew it was a sh- suicide mission and i it, i think
0: as soon as I they went they through did. that gate thing i think they kind of felt like that was the point of no return because mm. he did tell him to stay with the ship you know Bodie was supposed to stay with the ship so that they could take off again they, he was their only way out but when it turned into this big fight i think it was kind of the, they all realized that you know, the odds of getting everybody back in that ship taking off and actually getting free of the planet were um, yeah. were going to be difficult to do. I think they went into it realizing that it could be a suicide mission.
1: Yeah, d- d- definitely they, they knew it could be. I just uh, – I don't think they had very high hopes for the odds. Uh, it, it did sort of bug me that they seemed to be going in with no plan whatsoever. Yeah.
0: <laughs> They didn't. I don't think they really knew what they what they were going to face until they got there.
1: We're going to hit the ground and
0: figure it out then. Yeah, <laughs> which is what they did. Yep. Well, That was that was what we thought of the movie, and I'd definitely like to know what everybody else thought. This this is one of those ones everybody's going to have strong opinions about. So feel free to comment <laughs> on the show notes, which can be found at watching dot com slash sixty five. You can call us at 903-231-2221 to leave a voicemail or email us at feedback at com. Audio files are welcome. We still do not have enough uh, feedback to do a feedback episode, but we'd love to do one at somewhere at time. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes. That, that way you never miss an episode and we enjoy the reviews. That really helps uh kind of make us more visible to others who might be interested
1: absolutely
0: and on uh, twitter you can follow me at eve franklin
1: and I'm at Rencheple, R-E-N-C-H-E-P-L-E.
0: <laughs> and uh, I'm planning here very soon to start a discussion group to go along with Are You Just Watching? It seems like uh, people don't seem to want to comment much, and I think it's difficult to comment on pages. Uh, it's The structure of Facebook pages doesn't make that easy. So I think what we're yeah. going to do is create a, a sister group, you might say, to our Facebook our Facebook page uh, where anybody can share and and comment and keep us up to date with uh, their movie watching, their TV watching. uh, And I hope to maybe even post some polls to kind of allow listeners to have uh, some direct feedback on the format of the show and our future plans, basically. So love to have you find us. Uh, We'll uh, get the group situated and post the, The uh, URL in our show notes Start posting our URL on all our show notes So that you can find Mm -hmm. it And don't forget to support us Through Patreon Uh, We do, I have lost actually One of our supporters over the last couple Months and we don't have that many Supporters so losing one hurts Mm -hmm. We uh, would really like to have No gift is too Small uh, really honestly If you can just sign up to give a couple Dollars a month that would help that that helps us pay for just the the technical overhead of keeping this podcast going. We really appreciate your support.
1: We do indeed.
0: And thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoyed this discussion. I'm Eve Franklin.
1: I'm Tim Martin.
0: And we wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And don't just watch.
1: You just watching as a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network at Noodle.MX. Our opening vocal talent was thanks to Mariah. The theme song is used courtesy of Answers in Genesis. For more great podcasts like this one, visit the Noodle Mix Network at Noodle.MX. That's Noodle.MX.